BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. How do I ask my boss for a raise? I'm so jealous of my coworker's promotion. I just don't know what to do. Is there a good way to brag about my accomplishments? Careers are complicated, and there are so many hush-hush topics we're told we can't talk about. That's why you have the Career Contessa podcast. I'm your host, Lauren McGoodwin, and each week I'm joined by experts to help you overcome your workplace woes with actionable advice that you can use today. Subscribe to the Career Contessa podcast and make progress in your career every Tuesday. Welcome to Real Pod. It's your host, Victoria Garrick, and this is the podcast where we hold nothing back. Oh, so we're getting deep, huh? I really cried for 12 days straight. Why do I want to be perfect? There's nothing in my life that is perfect. Every week, I'll bring you honest, unfiltered, and eye-opening conversations to help uncover the real in all of us. I crave the type of content that you're talking about. I actually felt insecure. Oh my God, am I going to cry? Let me just unload everything. (laughs) New episodes every Wednesday. Leave those filters at the door because it's time to get real. I want to start today's episode by doing an emotional check-in. We're going to stop and pause and get in tune with our current state of mental health and how we're feeling Overall, emotionally, today's episode is going to get into a lot of these things in a fun, digestible way and also give you little tools and tips. But I thought to get us kickstarted and get in the vibe, we should do a check in. So I wish I could hear what your answers were and what you're saying. But go ahead and pause this after each question and think to yourself how it relates to you. I'll go ahead and share my answers. So I'm going to walk us through just a little five-step emotional check-in. So we're going to start with one, tuning into our body. So if I tune into my body, how do I feel right now? I, well, actually that's not the step one. The step one is just tune in. Okay. So let me take a second to tune in. I'm jumping the gun. I want to just start talking about how I feel. Let me take a second to tune in. Step two is also take a deep breath. So let's do step one and two. We're going to take a deep breath and we're going to tune in with ourselves. The third thing is going to be asking ourselves the question. Emotionally, how do you feel? So I'm going to ask myself that and give some space for an answer to arise. Our fourth step is using descriptive words to capture how we feel. 
I feel eager. I feel eager walking the line of antsy as well. And as I say that, my foot starts to tap underneath the table. I feel restless. I feel like I want a little break, a little breathing room. I'm going to go on a, have a fun dinner tonight. So I'm excited about that. I think though right now I'm just feeling a bit scattered. I'm not feeling very centered. Step five, our last step is just brainstorming what might be contributing to the emotions that we're experiencing. So you can answer this for yourself. You know, what is it in your life right now, your relationships that's contributing to the positive emotions you're feeling or maybe the more stressful emotions you're feeling? For me, why am I feeling eager, antsy, restless? I have a lot going on. I haven't had a legitimate day off in three weeks, definitely two, maybe three, and it's not going to stop for another week. So I think that's why I'm feeling this way, you know? And look, I don't need necessarily an answer or a solution to how I'm feeling right now, and maybe you don't either. The main focus is the awareness of how we're feeling so that we can then take the time to process that and see what things we might have in our toolkit, in our back pocket that we've done before that could help us feel more close to how we want to feel. But also sometimes it's okay to just be feeling sad, anxious, stressed. Those are valid emotions and we don't always want to just shoo them away. And that's a lot of what we're going to be talking about today on the podcast. So I wanted to do a check-in so we could actually get in tune with our body and really take that beat to process. And we're going to be talking about that with our guest, Corinne Fox. Corinne is an ambassador for the National Alliance on Mental Illness. She is an actress, a social media creator, a mental health advocate, and she's the daughter of Oscar award-winning actor Jamie Foxx. I really like Corinne. She's just a cool human. She's thoughtful. She works on herself. And she's trying to destigmatize the conversation around anxiety, depression, and more. So we're going to get started. Before we do, I wanted to say a hello to Taylor. Hi, Taylor. You are maybe on your morning coffee real pod walk right now. Taylor left a five-star review that said, Wednesday mornings are for coffee and real pod walks, the highlight of my week. I love to hear Vic laugh, chat, and cry sometimes about things I think about constantly. Her episode with Dr. Lieberman hit home so deep, it even led me to having a tough conversation with a friend after struggling with our relationship for years. I love you, Vic. Oh my gosh, Taylor, I'm so glad you enjoyed the Dr. Lieberman episode. Wow. If you guys haven't listened to that, it came out two weeks ago. It's a phenomenal conversation and super eye-opening about the way that others might be feeling and the way that we can better understand how to read and get what they really want. But Taylor, this review just means the world. And thank you. Thank you for taking your coffee and your walk and spending it with me. And I hope you enjoy Corinne today. She's awesome. If you guys want to leave me a rating and a review, you can do so wherever you listen. You can give a rating, but you can leave a review on Apple Podcasts and you just might be the special shout out on next week's episode. I hate to sound so desperado, but reviews and ratings really, really help out the podcast. So if you are having a good time and you can spare 20 or 30 seconds, I would love to read what you think and have your rating. One last thing is the RealPod live show is just two and a half weeks away. 
So if you haven't gotten your tickets yet, it's going to be October 17th in Hollywood at the Improv Theater. Be there, be there, be there. We're going to have the best time. You and me in person, Real Pod Live. Tickets for the show are at the link in my bio, the link at the at RealPod account bio, and also in the description of this episode. Without further ado, we're going to get started now with our guest, Corinne Fox. You went to USC. I didn't know that until I was doing research on you. And I went to USC. Really? Wait, what year did you graduate? 2019. What about you? Oh my God, I'm 2016. I'm so much older than you. No. Were we even there at the same time then? 2016. Yeah, I was a senior when you were a freshman. A sophomore, because I came in 2015. Okay. Um, Who knows? Maybe we crossed paths in a lecture hall or something. Were you in a sorority? I was, yeah. Do you like to talk about it? You're like, those are dark days. <laughs> They're not dark days, but I'm just not someone that's like, oh my God, yes, I was in a sorority. Like I was in Kappa, Kappa Gamma. Were you in a sorority? I was in Pi Beta Phi. Okay, cool. I don't know. I just like, I really wasn't a part of it because I was a vol- I played volleyball. So I never could really go to anything. I rushed my freshman year and I kind of went where all my friends from high school had gone. Yeah. You know, and there's like feeder houses. And so I was scared to like branch out. And then I literally was never a part of rush. I never did anything like that until my senior year when I finally volleyball was over and I could like participate in things. I also had like a perma dismissal thing. So when I did show up, my name wasn't even called. They were like, who are you? (laughs) Literally. And then my senior year, I finally was kind of a part of things. And I was like, hmm, I don't know if I would have been a part of this all four years if I knew really, you know, how these things roll. And what was going on. I know I have scrubbed all evidence of me being in a sorority off the internet. But I will say I made the best friends in my entire life. So that was a win. But when I look back, I'm like, this is so off brand for me. Like the fact that I was a part of this. Is yeah. Really the thing that validates me is the fact that Sophia Bush was a Kappa at USC and okay. her, how, her picture is like downstairs. And so I'm like, OK, I'm like, well, Sophia Bush was in the same house as me. So I'm fine. <laughs> that was the same thing for me with Jenna Dewan. She was a, a Pi Phi and then I met her like while I was in college and I was like, boom, boom. And I tried to, and she was like, what are you talking? And she was like, I wasn't really in it. I was like, oh yeah, me neither. I don't know what you're talking about. Like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. So where did you grow up? I grew up out here in LA. And what was your childhood like kind of between your dad's life and then your mom's life and kind of, and then you growing up in school? I feel like you must have been exposed to so many different things. Yeah. You know, my parents really focused on normalcy. And so, you know, I had my mom who was an accountant and I was, I had chores and I had, my first job was at the Victoria's Secret down the street. You know, like I had a very normal childhood in that sense and I had responsibilities. But then, you know, on the weekends... I'd go to my dad's premiere. So I I used to say I felt like Hannah Montana a lot of the time (laughs) because it was like I had this secret life, but it wasn't that secret because obviously all the kids knew. But I think I I, I felt relatively normal, but I I was very aware that people were looking at me. And I think that's what really grew into being a perfectionist. I felt like people were always just waiting for me to be the crazy celebrity kid who's out of touch, who's rude, who's, you know, not humble. And so I kind of leaned in the complete opposite way where I was like, I want to be 
super polite, super humble. I actually got kind of introverted because I was so afraid that people would see me as, you know, this caricature of what a, a child of a celebrity is. So I had to unlearn a lot of that as I got older. And I was like, it's okay to like voice your opinion and to, you know, stand up for yourself. Like you don't have to be so like submissive all the time. Mm-hmm. It's interesting how you just kind of went the opposite. Yeah, there's like two, of, there's two roads here. <laughs> I always wonder too with kids who are children of massive celebrities like A-listers. When you're growing up, are you able to process that this isn't something that happens to everybody's dad? Or like what age were you when you realized the level of stardom? And also, what is it like to be eight or 10 and see your dad on the TV? I mean, how does that work? (laughs) I know it's hard because I don't know anything different, obviously. So like, he's always been like that. There was a a long time that I didn't think he was as famous as he was, where I thought he was kind of like a C-less actor. I was like, you're like, dad, I was like, is he that big of a deal? And my mom (laughs) would be like, yes, Corinne. And it was when I was when I was 10, I went with my dad, the Oscars when he was nominated for Ray. And I was there when he won. And I remember sitting there and watching him give a speech. I'm like, I guess he's an A-lister. I guess he's kind of a big deal. He's got to be kind of famous. But you know, when you're little, you don't even really know, you know, what who is famous and who's not. So it wasn't until that moment that I was really like, okay, I guess he's kind of a big deal. (laughs) That was such a good movie. That's hilarious too, though. So with your parents being separated, even now seeing you with your half siblings and like how close you are with your parents, how were you able to feel normalcy and kind of like navigate and find your groove in a family dynamic that wasn't, you know, traditional for whatever that means these days, right? Yeah. It's so funny. I was talking about this yesterday (laughs) with my boyfriend when we were watching the Kardashians because it was the episode where Chloe was like, oh, like all of the X-Men are still around. And like, once you're part of our family, you're always part of my, our family. And I was like, I kind of feel the same way because my parents were never together my whole life, but they kind of made a choice. They were like, we're not meant to be, but we love each other and we love Corinne. So we're going to be best friends. And so my parents did every holiday together. They, you know, even when they had their own children, so I have half siblings, like we do all our holidays together. My mom is friends with my dad's like daughter's mom. Like, it's just like, it's weird but I see my friends whose parents were divorced and like they can't be in the same room and it's splitting your time. And I'm like so much better the way my parents did it where they just like consciously were like, we're not supposed to be together, but like we're going to make it work. And I've never heard my parents say a negative thing about either of each other. And they call each other all the time. And I'm like, why? Like, (laughs) what are you guys talking about? I'm 28. You know what I mean? They're like, oh, just catching up. So, you know, it's untraditional, but I feel like it was way healthier than other, you know, family dynamics. We're going to take a quick moment to talk about something important. Shoes. What? Come on. Shoes are important. Nothing feels better than a comfortable shoe. That's also super cute and trendy. Bionic is here to be just that with footwear that doesn't make you compromise on style for comfort with super supportive essentials. And fall is just around the corner. So maybe you need some new shoes for your wardrobe. Bionic has water repellent booties, super walkable heels, and the cutest active sneakers for your daily walks. I know y'all be taking those real pod walks on Wednesdays. You could do some in Bionic sneakers. Vionic delivers on great feeling feet so you can live your best life through their Viomotion technology. This is a patent podiatrist developed footbed that's built into every pair. 
I know this personally because I have a few pairs of Vionics. I have the Walker Classic. I'm obsessed with these. Just picture the cutest, chunky white sneaker that goes with every outfit. This is like a wardrobe staple. It's called the Walker Classic. Highly recommend. Also, the Ronin boot is a classic all-black booty. It is waterproof, which is perfect for when I go to Seattle with Max for the holidays and it's going to be snowy or puddly. I know I can wear these gorgeous black booties and not worry about them getting ruined or my feet being uncomfortable. Bionic has a 30-day risk-free trial, which means there's no reason for you not to buy because you can wear them, love them, or return for a full refund within 30 days. Use code REALPOD at checkout for free shipping at www.bionicshoes.com. Once again, head over to bionicshoes.com and use code REALPOD in all caps at checkout. That's capital REALPOD at checkout for free shipping on your order at www.bionicshoes.com. I know you're very open about your experiences with anxiety and anxiety disorder and panic attacks. Did that start when you were a teenager or a younger kid? Yeah. When I was 14, I was diagnosed with an anxiety disorder. And at the time there really was no conversation for mental health. Like there wasn't like the hashtags we see now and you know, the, the reels people are talking about, you know, what they're going through. And I, so I felt really, really isolated and I didn't want my peers to know. I didn't want to be called the C word, which is crazy. And so I really kept it super hidden and I was going to therapy and I was trying different therapies, but I wasn't like letting my friends know. I didn't even in high school, I had a boyfriend, he didn't know. And it wasn't until I graduated college that I was, for whatever reason, just like by divine timing, the National Alliance on Mental Illness reached out to me just to do like a, a post, just to support Mental Health Awareness Month. And I was like, Corinne, this is your chance to like talk about this at that time, 10 year journey of going to therapy and figuring out what works for you and, you know, overcoming your anxiety. And so I, I said, yes, I'll do the post, but also I want to work with you guys in a real meaningful way. And so I wrote this article for Refinery29 where I like came out and said that I had anxiety and that was 2017. And even then I was like, I'm so terrified. What are people going to think? And the second that article came out, I was like flooded with people DMing me, people reaching out that I even personally knew. And they were just like, I've been struggling with this. I've been struggling with depression. I have bipolar disorder. And I was like, wow, like people are craving conversation. People want to connect about this. And it makes sense because I think it's one in 10 Americans will experience a mental health condition at some point in their lives. If not, maybe it's even one in five now. So yeah, that's, that's kind of been my journey. And now I work with NAMI on so many different things. So when you were 14, like if we get granular, what were the symptoms you were experiencing? And then who took you to get this diagnosis? And like, how did you have that conversation? I want to talk about this for people who might be silently struggling and don't know. And also parents who listen, who could maybe keep an eye out on their kids. Yeah, I remember sitting in my English class and my palms were sweaty and my heart was racing. And I felt like I wanted to like run out of the room. And I was also like picturing like a plane crashing into my school. And I was like, for whatever reason, I was like, this isn't normal. Like I know my classmates cannot be sitting here and feeling this way. And so for whatever reason, and to this day, I do not know what would, what would compel a 14 year old to go to their parents and say, I'm not feeling well. Like that's just not something you would think a 14 year old would do, but I feel like I couldn't go to my friends. So 
I went to my mom and, and she found a therapist for me. And my therapist is the same therapist I have today. So 14 years old, I'm 28 now, and I've been working with her for 14 years. Oh and gosh. I love this. At this point, this lady, I'm like, you're going to walk me down the aisle at this point. I mean, she's like my <laughs> second mom at this point. But yeah, I mean, I, I had such a positive experience going to therapy that I, I have not left my therapist yet. <laughs> and what were the panic attacks like? Because I don't think I've ever... I don't, I don't think I've ever had a panic attack. I think of one time if I were to actually twice, if I were to think of two times, I felt like I was having a panic attack, but they were more like silent, like I was frozen and, but still I don't even know. So what did it feel like for you? And how do you know the difference between I'm feeling very anxious and my anxiety is kicking in or I'm having a panic attack? Yeah, that's a really great question. A lot of people actually, after their first panic attack, end up in the hospital because they think they're having a heart attack. So it, because your heart is beating so fast, but you're sitting still, you're not running. It's, it's as if you're running a marathon, but you're, you're sitting in your chair. So it feels very unnatural. And a lot of people end up in the hospital. I actually did as well, because I thought, my, why is my heart beating this fast? So I would say like sweaty palms, blurred vision, increased heart rate, but also this sense of dread, this sense of a lot of people think they're going to die. Like it's just, it's a big difference than just like, I'm having an anxious day. And also panic attacks only last between like 10 and I'm not a doctor, but I think it's like 10 to 30 minutes where anxiety can kind of come and go all day. It's kind of a general feeling, but yeah, when you start feeling that heart beating really fast and you start thinking I'm going to die, but you can't even figure out why that's definitely a panic attack. <laughs> okay. Thanks for the clarification. I can <laughs> confidently say I have never experienced that, fortunately. However, you said something that I really want to hit on. How do you feel when people generalize anxiety? Like, oh, I'm feeling really anxious or that's going to give me a panic attack or my anxiety is really bad right now. So like I need a drink or something. And it's, it's not legitimate. And you're sitting there like, I actually experience this. And like that language isn't accurate for what you're trying to describe. Yeah. You know, I, in the beginning of my journey, I actually had a lot of resentment towards people who would casually throw out, oh, I'm going to have a panic attack, this, that, this, that. And I was like, oh, you don't know what it's really like. And I think through healing, I understand that people don't, you know, it's not literal and, and they're not saying it to hurt other people. But I've, surely taken out of my own vocabulary, even like, you know, I think casually using bipolar, you know, oh my gosh, that girl is so bipolar, whatever, you know, and just being aware of like, you know, back in the day, people used to say gay all the time, like that's so, you know, whatever, as a negative term, and we had to take it out of our vocabulary, because we were like, we can't say this. And I think this is the same thing where you just consciously remove it from your own vocabulary and, and hope it kind of trickles down to everybody else. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And along with OCD and yes, yeah, psycho, you know, nowadays it's really becoming aware, especially for people like us who want to advocate for these issues. It's important that we like lead by example and not use terms incorrectly and generalize. So when you had a panic attack or when they come, like what's your toolkit to what do you do in that moment? Yeah. So there's like the toolkit I have to just like maintain my mental health in general, which I have this note on my phone that I, I can share with you. But if you're having a panic attack and it's coming on, I feel like I've learned so many tools to like catch it before it gets bad. And the biggest thing that I can I can give to other people that has helped me so much is 
breath control because a lot of a panic attack is these physiological symptoms. So if you can get your heart rate down, you can minimize a lot of those symptoms. So you can get the you know sweaty palms to go away and you can catch your breath. And, and once you kind of get there, the panic attack is really over. That's what I always tell myself. Like once I get my heart rate down, like it's over. I haven't had a panic attack in, in so long, but that's kind of my big, the big thing that helps me. That is so great to know. One time I was in class and someone ran out to the bathroom, a girl I didn't know, but I ran after her because it seemed like something was wrong. And she was in the bathroom and like could barely speak and was like, I'm having a panic attack. And this was years ago. I feel like I, I didn't, I didn't know exactly what to do, but my gut instinct was like, breathe, like br- I'm going to breathe in, like replicate, like follow, replicate what I'm doing, like in yes, slowly and perfect. slowly. But it is scary whether it's you or someone else and you don't know what exactly to do in that moment. So thanks for that. And I would love to know what is the general mental health toolbox? Everyone (laughs) needs new tips. Yeah. So I keep this note on my phone that I've been building out. I'm pulling it up right now with my therapist over the years. And I really advocate for other people to do it as well. And it says Corinne's guide to wellness, how I beat mental illness every day. And so a lot of the times when you're kind of going through your mental health journey, there's a lot of trial and error. There's a lot of like, okay, I'm going to try this thing. It didn't work. Oh, this thing kind of works. So anytime I'd find something that really helped with either my anxiety or even depression, I'd write it in my phone. So I have like working out, exercise, cardio. I have meditation. I have therapy. I have journaling. I have socializing. Sometimes when you're depressed, you forget to reach out to friends and knowing that that's the thing that's going to make you feel better. I even have sleeping on here or expressive art, like dancing, writing, acting, giving back and like going to church or whatever your like spirituality practices. And so for me, it was really important to write that down on my phone because when you're having an anxious moment or you're feeling depressed, Sometimes you forget all the tools you have. You're like, I don't know what to do. I'm a baby. I'm flailing. I don't know. Like, I can't help myself. And so to have it down on my phone and I'm like, okay, what haven't I done recently? Oh, I haven't journaled. Let me go journal. Oh, I haven't meditated. Let me go meditate. And it just really helps to have it somewhere else so that I don't have to rely on myself to remember, you know, when you're not feeling your best. I love that you do that. And also it takes effort and it's takes energy. And it's not easy to reach out to someone when you don't really want to or pull yourself up off the couch. And so that part of the mental health conversation, I think, is something really important right now is just this idea that we want to wipe away how we're feeling and and feel better is going to come with like we have to do things to get from that point A to that point B. And it can be very difficult and we might need the support of others or and whatnot. But Something recently I've really started to verbalize is if you're in a slump or you're depressed or you're anxious or whatever it is, there's going to need to be steps to help you get out of that place. Mm -hmm. And it's also intimidating because you're coming from a place of no energy and maybe confusion and you don't understand. And you have to, on top of that, find a way, right? Yes. I, I find that, and I, I run anxious, but I've had moments of depression. And I find that to be the hardest one to come out of because you don't have that energy, you have that lack of motivation. So it's harder to look at the note in my phone and be like, I want to do all these things. When I'm anxious, I have lots of energy. I could go run a marathon. I can go do this, do that, do this. And so it is a lot easier for me to like go through my list and be like, okay, I'm going to get, I'm going to 
transform this energy that I have into like wellness and like mm-hmm. being obsessed with my self care, which does end up helping. So yes, I agree with you. It is really tough to pull yourself out of a rut. And I think you just it, it's about baby steps. And it's about just trying something small, whether if it's not working out, it's taking a walk, you know, getting mm-hmm. outside, like, it's just what's that first step, and then building on that. We're going to take a moment for a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. This could not be a more perfect sponsor for this episode because BetterHelp is something that can help you if you're feeling stuck, emotionally stunted, or like you just need to talk to someone. Literally, I posted about this on Instagram the other day, but I was feeling like I was between a rock and a hard place with some things I've been dealing with in my personal life. And I made an appointment to talk to someone and I literally left feeling like a brand new person because I was able to solve the problems with the help of a therapist. And there's literally no better feeling than finding the solutions to your own problems. I have personally used BetterHelp as well. It was great. I took it from the comfort of my own home in my bed. I literally did the appointment in my bed. It is so accessible. It is so easy. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. You can get matched with a therapist after filling out a brief survey and switch therapists anytime. That's something Corinne and I talk about this episode is how it can be difficult sometimes to find a therapist that you like. BetterHelp has a variety of options so you can find the perfect fit for you. So if you want to be a better problem solver, therapy can get you there. Visit betterhelp.com slash realpod today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, better com slash realpod to get 10% off your first month. One of the first things you said that I loved before you read your list was it's like what works for you and everyone's going to do trial and error And something I've been trying to lean into, I mean, even this week, I've been a little sad. I feel like I've got a lot going on, got some family things, like just a lot. And I've, I've just not been as energetic and bubbly and down to do things. And I also have this big weekend coming up where I've got lots of stuff planned and lots of friends, which I'm excited about, but I've kind of been like, okay, we're going to give ourselves permission to like be sad this week. You know, we can cancel this. We're not going to FaceTime this friend. We're going to push this. And we're going to let for these four or five days ourselves to be lazier than usual, sad. You don't, I'm not wearing makeup. You don't put makeup on, but we're going to do like the bare minimum. And we're going to do a little bit just to, to stay regimented. So I woke up this morning, I did my workout. I did my, my cold shower, but I'm in my PJs now. And I'm like, you know, like I'm doing a half and half. And hopefully my thought is that come the weekend, I will be feeling better and I'll be rejuvenated. And let's say I'm not, and I'm still sad through the weekend. Okay. Then next week, yes, I'm going to push myself to try a few of those things. So I love that you emphasize, you know, trial and error, and we don't always know what works for us. Yeah. Are you in therapy or? Yes, I am. And it's- I'm going to say, I can just, I can just tell by the way that you, you've given yourself the grace to feel your feelings. I'm like, this girl's in therapy. I can tell. Yes. Yes. I love therapy. I actually, I so I went in college at USC for two and a half years. I was really not in a great place when I was a student athlete. And then I stopped going because I actually, I'm curious to ask you this question too. So I stopped going because I eventually got to a point where I was happy. I wasn't coming in with a huge story. I wasn't crying every week. And I was like, I think this has served its purpose for the time being. And I know that it's there when I need it. So 
you know, I've gone back and I've been loving how it's helping me in this in this place that I'm in in my life. With you, you said you've been going consecutively for almost, you know, over 10 years, correct? So what is that like? Do you go every single week? What if you don't have something to talk about? Yeah. Well, I mean, I will say I haven't been, you know, consecutively every week since I was 14, but I still have the same therapist and I actually have two therapists and like one is like for certain things and one's for another thing. But there have been like six month stretches where I'm like, I'm feeling really good. And, you know, I don't need it. I I haven't been to therapy, honestly, in like probably a month now, because I was traveling. And so like, there's times where I I don't need to go. And then there's times where I'm like, hey, can we get on a weekly schedule again? (laughs) And so yeah, I think it's just being in tune with where you're at, which seems like you're really good at doing. And also, I just want to go back to what you said before about like this week and what you're doing and how you're giving yourself the grace because I think that's so important for me I'm a fixer and when I'm not feeling well I'm like I gotta like feel amazing and I've had to learn like hey like this thing happened in your life it's okay to be sad it's okay to take days to be sad and to let like the emotion move through you so that like you can be energized for this weekend you know with your Mm -hmm. friends and things like that so I think that's really, really important. Because I think sometimes when people feel even a little bit sad, they want to fix it. And sometimes it doesn't need to be fixed. Yeah, I completely agree. But I'm glad that you have had the same therapist that you really trust. And like you guys clicked. I had three different therapists in college, one that was like my main, but then I had two that I didn't really, I just had to find ones that I like really, you know, you respect and you want their insight and your life is a precious thing. And you want to feel like this person giving me help. Like I is someone that I would want to call in a crisis for their advice, you know? And then I recently, as an adult, me, when I graduate college, I'm like my adult years, <laughs> I had one during the pandemic and then, and then it just like, wasn't really serving me. And I found a new one who I love, like, oh my God, this girl, I want to be friends with her in real life, but I know that's, we can't do that. <laughs> you can't, you just have to stay with her for 14 years. Like I did. <laughs> Right. Right. Well, I have this weird dynamic because I wonder what your thoughts are. I don't love that everyone knows everything about me. And I I know that's interesting because I've chosen this life and I share everything and no one forces me and I do it. However, when I meet someone, it does catch me a little weird when I think, oh, wow. Yeah, they literally know that on Sunday I was binge eating because I got high because I posted that on TikTok. And it's like I I forget that everyone knows everything about me and I don't know everything about everyone. So they've jumped to level 10 on like, I know everything about you. I feel so connected. You're my best friend. I don't know anything. So with my therapist, like I'm very adamant. And this is part of the code, but I express it before I go. Like, please don't look me up. Please don't Google me. Like, And I had a therapist once that did say something that they only could have known Mm. if they had seen something on social media. And then I was like, done. Next therapist. Because it's weird to me. Like, I don't like that. How do you feel when everyone knows everything about you and your family? I totally identify with what you're saying, especially, I don't know, like if you have a partner, but like dating and being like, I don't want you to know all these things about me. Yeah, it's interesting. I think I'm like, whatever I put out, I'm like aware that like, it's fair game and everyone's going to know it. But I think going to college, I was really worried about making friends and people being friends with me for the wrong reasons because they wanted concert tickets or they wanted to go to a movie premiere. And I I put this out and like, I feel like it became this huge headline where I was like, I considered changing my last name to go to college and taking on my mom's just to get a fair shot with the kids, just because I wanted to be treated like everybody else. I ultimately didn't do it. But I remember this, there's this thing on Wikipedia where people think my last name 
is my, my dad's real name is, or was Eric Bishop. So they think my last name is Bishop and I don't have my dad's stage name, which I do. So I had a teacher in college email me once and said, hi, Corinne Bishop, but that's not my name. So I knew they looked me up and like read a fake article about me and thought my last name was this and then tried to change it. And that was really weird for me. I was like, you would only know that if you read my Wikipedia page and it's not even real. It's like not even the truth and I can't get it off Wikipedia. So that stuff like that where you're like, oh, why did you look me up? Like, right. You know, right. Which just, you know, disclaimer, you experience at a way different level than me. But (laughs) but yeah, I don't know. That's fascinating. Along the same lines, I struggle to feel a thousand percent. No, let's get bring it back to 100. You know, when people go above the scale and you're like that defeats the purpose. (laughs) I struggle to be 100 percent proud of myself and certain of my accomplishments and who I am as a business career woman because I come from privilege. And I was curious how you rationalize that, knowing the opportunities that you did have just by being in your family. You know, I came from parents who were able to afford me any opportunity. And yes, I'm outgoing and driven and I, the door was open for me, but I did everything in the room, but still I'm like, "Mm, so many people aren't put in front of that door. Yeah, I I totally understand that. And I think that's why I didn't want to enter the entertainment industry. I actually didn't start acting until like two or three years out of college. I got a job at a nine to five in New York at an advertising agency. And I was like, I don't want anything to do with being in the public eye because I was so afraid of what other people were going to say about my journey. And then when I was sitting at my nine to five, sitting at my desk going, I don't want to do this. Who am I doing this for? You know, I, I moved back to LA and I, and I started taking acting classes. And I think I'm very aware of the opportunities I have. And I'm very aware that doors open for me a lot easier. And I don't know if you found this, but I found that once you get in the room, I feel like I have to prove myself 10 times more than the other person because people are looking at me like, oh, here comes another you know, nepotism baby or whatever. And again, that's what kind of turned into my perfectionism where I was like, I have to be perfect. I have to prove that I'm not like that. I have to be like this. But I I think it actually blended a lot into my philanthropic work. I felt like I was given this platform that I didn't necessarily ask for. And I was like, well, what am I going to do with it? And that's when I started working with NAMI. I also work with the Endometriosis Foundation of America. And I'm just like, I want to at least guide people to things that deserve their attention. And at least I can, you know, bring light to these issues that weren't getting attention before. And so that's kind of my way of, of giving back to all the privilege that I've been given. Mm-hmm. I love that. That's just such a great way to think about it and helpful. So thank you for being my therapist for three minutes. <laughs> of course. Thank you for having me. Corinne, thank you so much for coming on RealPod. I just loved our conversation. I feel like we went all over the place. I know. We, we've hit it all. <laughs> I know. You're just so bubbly and kind and I love chatting with you. So thanks for coming on and being so honest and open. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a blast. 
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of RealPod. If this hit home or helped you in some way, send it to a friend, a teammate, roomie, share the love, share the realness. New episodes of RealPod come out every single Wednesday. So make sure you are subscribed to this podcast so you never miss an episode. To leave a rating or review of the show, head to iTunes and let me know what you think. I love hearing from you. Not to mention, you can stay connected with RealPod throughout the week, seeing behind the scenes info and sneak previews of upcoming guests by following the at RealPod account on Instagram. All information about today's show and guests will be linked in the description of this episode. Thanks again for listening. I love you guys so, so much. Let's go dominate the day. And as always, keep it real. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.